Hello and welcome everyone to a special Thanksgiving edition of Wired In. Hope you're having a great holiday today. I am Blake Johnson alongside my co-host Spencer Coles coming at you again. Hello, Hello, Spencer. hello. I'm doing all right, man. Uh, you got any got any plans for uh, Thanksgiving? Yeah, I think today, which we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving, but today planning on spending it um, at my in-laws. They are having having a little get together with um, with some family there, and, and have some food and just kind of hang out and and chill. So yeah, looking forward to that. And aside from that, just kind of hang out and enjoy the the extended weekend that I and apparently you have as well. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, and it's funny cause like I, you know, like, cause I figured at the very least I'd be working black Friday, but they, they called me up and were like, Oh, Hey, you're off black Friday too. And I was like, Oh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you work, I mean, at, I'm not gonna, uh, you know. work at UPS, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. Cause I feel like, you know, I feel like you'd have all the crazies trying to chase down trucks, trying to steal packages and whatnot. So, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. And you probably know this because you, because of what you just said. But have you heard about the latest um, in the UK with uh, PS5 orders being stolen by delivery drivers? Yeah, um, I, I didn't know that it was uh, specifically UK. I thought it was just kind of like a, a broad thing, but um, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen videos of people stealing packages and stuff of like, uh, of, you know, basically suspecting like people, um, like of, of people's like suspecting like PS5s being dropped off um, for like deliveries and stuff. Well, yeah, because especially, and I feel bad, especially for the ones that pre-ordered them back in September, they apparently were notified that the order was delivered to their door and come to find out they would get like packages of toys or uh, dog food or lamps and stuff like that that they did not order <laughs> and uh you know so the and yeah I so guess, it's even people it's even people inside ups they're also well not i mean not specifically ups but like you know delivery you know uh, companies in general like stealing consoles which is like crazy yeah, and I guess Amazon has even admitted to having some issues with deliveries. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty insane. Yeah. Though, you know, I, I will say, though, it kind of makes me extra glad that I didn't stress out about this because I may or may not have done a thing um, this week. And originally I wasn't going to, but the more I thought about it, the more it kind of made sense to me. Um, I went ahead and I, I was originally trying to get a PS5, primarily the digital edition because it was cheaper. But you know, it, with with all these bots and scalpers that we've been talking about, and just how incredibly, pretty much impossible it is to get a PS5 right now. You know, I don't even have a PlayStation. I haven't had one for like 15 years. So, you know. Uh, there's there's these games that I've been wanting to play for a number of years now, but I can't because I don't have a PlayStation. So I just decided to get a PS4 Pro and just kind of play that for at least a, at least a few years. And then just when everything calms down, when there's more exclusives for the PS5, they stop making games for the PS4, then I'll probably upgrade. But it just kind of made more sense to me to do it that way. 
because I already have access to a bunch of games that I've not played before, um, especially Spider-Man, The Last of Us, mm-hmm. Ghost of Tsushima, and God of War, things like that. So, yeah, it's uh, it should be here in the next couple of days. So I'm uh, I'm actually pretty excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll. I mean, I think you'll like it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is really curious because, like, you would think that with how much, especially with, I mean, I guess to a degree, COVID would really affect kind of the, the means of production and like supply lines and stuff like that. But you, you would, at the very least, with when it comes when it pertains to like Sony looking at everything from like a broad lens that they would see the, de- the demand for their product and be like, okay, how can we produce as many consoles as we possibly can? Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it seems like, and it makes me, it makes me wonder if they were like extremely limited in like how much they could actually produce, like how many units they could actually produce and distribute because it, it's just strange that you know, because I I want to say, um, the the total number not and not just specifically with the PS Five, but like, um, the 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 Series X and S, um, there's been reports you know that they've drastically undersold comparatively. Uh, when when you look at how like the Xbox One and the PS Four, whenever those first launched. I mean, they sold like gangbusters. I mean, they, I mean, you know, it wasn't for the most part, you know, as <laughs> uh, insanely difficult to get your hands on one of them uh, as it is now. But yeah, it's just which kind of segues a little bit into um, you know, like um, kind of segues into what what it pertains to like ex- you know certain like exclusives and things like that where um it makes me wonder like in particular with like the the series x if they didn't release any form of exclusives because they knew the fact that you know there were only going to be a certain like a limited number of people getting their hands on them and just being like well we're not going to release console exclusives uh, with the Series X and S um, because of the fact that you know there's not going to you know there's not going to be as nearly many people actually getting their hands on the consoles to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know the thing is, since you bring this up, I mean, if you're if you're upgrading right now, let's say you're, let's say, I mean, I, I have an Xbox One. Let's say, you know, you're interested in upgrading. There's really no reason to get an Xbox Series X or S right now because there's, A, there's no exclusives for the X or S, and B, all the exclusives that they will come out with, you can just play on your PC. Granted, you know, you have to have a good, um, you know, you have to have a good computer to be able to handle that, but you can still play play all these games anyway. Um, and especially when you consider the next gen feel of it, PlayStation Five they've gone the extra length to make it feel like next gen. 
the as whether it's the look of the console, whether it's the controller, the haptic feedback, whether it's ray tracing, whether it's whether it's um, the SSD, you know, whether it's the the UI. I mean, there's just navigating through the the home menu and you know all these different things. There there's a lot to be des- there's a lot to you know hope for <laughs> be desired. There's a lot to be excited for. Um, when it relates to Sony's new console, whereas with Xbox, it 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 legitimately feels like you just made a you've gone from an Xbox One S to a One X because the interface is exactly the same, the controller is mostly the same, the D pad's a little bit different, but it's mostly the same. Um, there's no really any new exclusives. Um, Halo's like the biggest thing for Xbox and that's been delayed till next year. So, you know, it's, which I will say though, like as far as innovation goes, I'm pretty impressed with the series S as far as just how tiny that thing is and how much it can do. You know, I, I think it can get to like 1440 P, um, in like 100 they, they claim like 120 uh frames per second which is better than the 1s or whatever that i have um well so. the, the 120 frames per second is kind of misleading because y- y- yes it can perform up to that but that is all dependent upon the developers and how they optimize their game and what they set frame rate caps to um also along with the lines of um, I know that typically in order to hit that 100, you know, that 120 FPS mark with these new next-gen consoles, you have to have TVs that are that have HDMI 2.1. Um, it's either 2.1 or 3.1 ports. Um, but basically, yeah, uh, and there's very limited options as far as TVs or monitors that have HDMI, two, uh, HDMI 2.1 support mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, but like, you know, the... the 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 potential is there is what i'm saying and oh absolutely which yeah. you know it, it it also kind of plays into why i went with the ps4 pro instead of next gen because i mean as far as like you know obviously it's cool to see them improve on frames per second supposedly you know all these consoles can do this they can do that but for me it's just like you know i have a 4k tv the games look amazing anyway and you know i i it doesn't really make a difference to me personally because of how I play it and because of how it looks already. So, I mean, you can throw yeah. all these, you can throw all these uh, specs at me and it's like, well, I mean, it, that's fine. But it, you know, even if I don't get it like right away or I wait a few years, I mean, it's, it's not, you're not, it's not like you're playing, you know, a, a PS one or something, or, uh, <laughs> like an OG Xbox or N64. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, you know, it, it's still the, I guess, I guess it's called the eighth gen consoles still work great on, you know, whatever device you're using them on. So it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of a marketing thing. You know, they, they try to put these things out there. Hey, you, you have to have this, you have to have this, you know, this is the newest thing. You got to get this now. And, you know, really you don't you just wait a little while, wait for things to even out. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. That's, that's kind of my, 
spiel on it, but uh, but yeah, and I and I think you know, uh, kind of the interesting thing too is you know, you know, you I mean again, Microsoft's been pushing all these these hardware specs, and and as much as you know, I kind of kind of explored the rabbit hole of well, maybe they didn't push exclusives due to COVID, due to limited production and stuff like that. Um, in the same vein, though, we have to be objective about this and, 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 you know, realize, you know, obviously when they revealed gameplay for Halo Infinite, that was, that was supposed to be their console seller. That was supposed to be their staple that they were supposed to nail because Crackdown 3 was delayed into, you know, oblivion, you know, or, you know, infinity to use the the pun, but, um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, that I mean, that game got delayed and delayed and delayed over and over again, and Microsoft continuously kept hyping it up, saying that it was going to just change everything, that it was going to be, you know, you know, that the weight was going to be, you know, worth much. It was just, it, it fell flat on its face, because it was just so, from a, like, from a, technological standpoint from a game development standpoint it was just so obsolete in comparison to what was currently out now mm-hmm. um and games that you know hadn't spent nearly as much time in development hell um so it, which it, I th- and i think with halo infinite i think we're going to see a similar pattern there which also segues into another thing i wanted to bring up this is kind of old news i don't know if you uh, before we before we do that, uh, can you can you uh, turn your mic down a little bit? I'm seeing you peek quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, sure thing. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> How is that? Is that better? One, two, three. Yep, I think we're yeah. Think we're that looks cool. good. So, but um, but yeah. So which kind of segues into one thing that I wanted to talk about, and I, I, you may have seen this. This is somewhat um, kind of old news. But the uh, the one of the current well, not, I guess not current directors anymore, but uh, their latest director for Halo Infinite uh, recently just left the project. Really? Yeah. Huh. I I may so have this is seen this is now that. this is now I think their second director to leave the project. Oof. Man, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> to say, I mean that's an understatement, obviously, but you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. So have have they chosen a new director, or are they still searching for one? I mean, because you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not certain. Um, I would assume that they would have filled it by now because I think this was back in like late October. Okay. Because um, I was gonna say, do they even need a director anymore? Shouldn't this game be just about wrapped up, or are they just that far behind? I don't know. Um, well, I know Microsoft said that they were basically they had delayed Halo Infinite until you know at a I guess quarter four of twenty twenty one. Okay, yeah. So it it, it could be, and, and again, it all depends on how much of the game, how much of the build that they want to keep. Because and and this is another thing we have to keep in mind uh, from you know numerous reports that have come out that a majority of the st- that a majority of the staff that was working on that game were basically just hired on as independent contractors. That they, they weren't like a majority of them weren't full time, you know, three four three employees. Oh um, yeah, okay. So, hmm. Oh man, yeah. It 
you know, I have not played a ton of of Halo, but I have I have seen reviews of like Halo over the years, and uh, from just from listening from an outside perspective on this, it seems like you know Halo ha- in terms of quality has gone down um, more and more since going from Bungie to three four three. Unless, oh, absolutely. The, unless, unless I'm wrong about that. I mean, again, I haven't played a ton. No, of, I haven't played a ton of Halo, but I've played enough. I mean, I've played some. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment. I mean, uh, I mean, Halo Four had some decent components here and there, but overall, it just it, it to me it kind of felt inferior to, um, especially when it you know with with multiplayer. I felt like the multiplayer in Reach was just so well rounded and and you know refined, but um, of course, I'm. I, I feel like I'm kind of in the minority in that camp. So, um, so I'm not gonna say definitively that this is the the, the majority view. But um, certainly with Halo Five, though, I, I think a lot of the Halo base is questioning why three four three is basically in charge, creatively speaking, with this IP and. <laughs> and after the whole E3 reveal, um, you know, with the with those stunning visuals, right? Yeah, with those <laughs> truly next of gen Craig. next gen <laughs> visuals. It was almost like you were actually there. That's how real it looked. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I mean, it looked like a Halo Four mod, honestly, or like, uh, or like, like a like a Halo Four Point Five. Like that's what. Graphically speaking, that's kind of what I got from it, um, and it's just like, yeah, it, it baffles me because Halo Five looked better than that. Yeah, there were some people that were actually screenshotting like, um, uh, like basically game gameplay from Halo Five and comparing it with the the Craig meme. You know, it's that that close up. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, picture of the brute. And it's just it's just this like garbled, you know, internet uh, by storm. Like, yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah, it, it it is curious and uh I I I honestly think Halo Infinite being in the development hell that it's in, I think has drastically affected uh basically console sales for 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 the, the series s and x mm-hmm. um i mean we'll we'll have to wait and see you know because obviously there hasn't there hasn't been nearly as many consoles produced and sold um so it's hard to get a you know a, a definitive metric on that but uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it pans out yeah I, honestly i the thing is I, i'm not hating on on microsoft or anything i don't want them to fail i mean i just i just got done saying earlier how i've 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 been with xbox for a long time you know i i want them to do well but you know the and i, I think i think the last time that they launched a it launched a halo game with an xbox just releasing i think the last time that both of those things came out at the same time was either the og xbox or the 360 it may have been i can't remember which one it was but it was either the xbox or the 360 that when it came out it released with a brand new halo game um so i want to say it was the 360 um, yeah i think halo 3 was the yeah 
I want to say. I could be wrong about that, though. But, you know, I'm all for them delaying this as much as they need to to make it right, you know, to make it as good as they can. But, man, I just I don't understand why (laughs) why they keep screwing stuff like this up with with this series, you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I think it has definitely played a role in uh, (laughs) in the console sales because if you don't even have Halo to play, which you were promised earlier this year i mean why would you even bother upgrading right now just if you have an xbox just stick with that until it yeah, finally exactly. comes out I, you know mm-hmm. that's just kind of my thing on it but anyway we we've belabored that for quite a while um there was a you you, you mentioned this before we began the show there was a award show a couple of award shows related to the games that uh kind of caught yeah, your so, attention um, a little bit yeah so uh, <laughs> speaking of questionable decisions um, so I want to say it was either last night or the night before, but uh, the Golden Joystick Awards uh, happened, or I, I don't know if there was a live stream, but but they released their list of of winners. So um, and I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and list you off the categories, just to, uh, so or so... A th- or a few of them anyway. Um, so you have best storytelling, best multiplayer game, best visual design, best game okay. expansion best audio um so but but again uh, so basically the main ones we're going to be focusing on are best storytelling best visual design best audio studio of the year okay sorry sorry i'm still scrolling uh playstation game of the year and ultimate game of the year Guess what game swept those six categories? All those that you just mentioned. Yes. Um. Well, I already know the answer to this, but uh, let let me just let me just pretend I don't know. Um, I'm guessing probably, probably, Little Big Planet three. Doom Eternal. No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, <laughs> obviously The Last of Us two. Oh, you know okay. the game that practically polarized the entire internet after its uh you know after its release so yeah that game uh, now granted you know i think the majority of people don't really take the, the golden joystick awards super seriously because i think back in 2018 they gave the the same uh ultimate game of the year to basically fortnite over uh red or you know red dead redemption 2 oh my so, gosh <laughs> that's ridiculous yes. So, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of credibility. No, um, <laughs> I didn't know that, but yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. it's not like they had a, you know, a, a huge leg to stand on the, the first place. But... Fortnite is better than Red Dead 2. <laughs> but, you know, again, yeah. it just it just speaks to how how much, how much of an influence and effect, you know, these, these gaming journalist publications have when it comes to affecting award results like this, because... Uh, which kind of segues into another thing I wanted to touch on. So the nominees for uh, the Game Awards 2020 were just announced, and this is uh, separate, right? From the yeah, this is this thing. is different. This is a different. Okay. Um, th- this is this one is kind of like kind of like the Golden Globes of like oh. or like the equivalent of the Golden Globes to like video games, essentially. Okay. Um. Uh, granted, I wouldn't say it's as established, but um, 
But yeah, so they released their nominees. So game of the year, yeah, Doom Eternal, you know, okay. solid choice. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII remake again, you know, pr- pretty critically acclaimed. Yeah, makes sense. Ghost of Tsushima makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Hades, which I was surprised made the list. Um, I I really enjoyed that game, but uh, it's kind of an indie title, so I really didn't expect it to even show up. But um, yeah, it's super great game. Recommend it. Uh, Animal Crossing New Animal Crossing New Horizons. Oh yeah. And then The Last of Us Part Two. Hmm. Okay. And then Best Game Direction again. Last of Us Two is also in that category. Best Narrative The Last of Us Part Two is also in that category. Best Art Direction. <laughs> Last of Us 2 is also in that category. Best score in music. Last of Us 2 is also in that category. Practically almost every single category. Actually, yeah, pretty much every, every single category. The Last of Us 2 is nominated in. Hmm. Now, see, I, I've, I have not played The Last of Us 2. Um, I ordered, like I said earlier, PS4 Pro. And I got two games for it right now. One of them is Spider-Man. The other one is The Last of Us Remastered really been wanting to play that i've heard it's great so I'm, I'm excited about that but i have i have watched the very end of the last of us 2 and i've seen some key moments that people complain about um on gameplay and from from my understanding from from what i've seen so far the the gist of it is from from what i'm seeing is that the last of us 2 is basically the last jedi of the last of us series it basically oh, takes yeah. it takes what you love about the original last of us and just destroys it yeah and i think you know it's just the whole it, it ties back into the whole subverting expectations thing it's like it's not that it can't be done well but it's the fact that the way naughty dog went about it was like literally the worst possible way they could have gone to execute it and uh uh, it's just you know obviously you know it, and and I and I will give you know some props to Naughty Dog there there are things to appreciate about Last of Us too especially you know from a from a graphic standpoint from a um, mechanics standpoint mm-hmm. in some areas um, you know it's it's a visually stunning game it's just a shame that the narrative is shit. And yeah. it's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like that's a big problem or anything. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, especially with, you know, I think a lot of people kind of harp on the point of, oh, well, n- the narrative isn't the, the driving force of video games. It's like, well, you know, in some cases you'd be right about that. But with The Last of Us, I mean, The Last of Us is a narrative centric, you know, series. It's a very narrative centric game. So and when when the narrative is objectively awful, when it's not, you know, well written, that creates problems because the narrative is what is the primary driving force uh, that basically, you know, molds the game that basically, you know, dictates whether the game will be of good quality. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it seems like with some of these games that have have come out not all of them some of them are really good but there's there's such an emphasis on how a game looks rather than how a game operates as far as the story you know and this you have this problem with movies too i mean you have we have some movies out there that i mean the the, the way that 
that computer graphics has advanced over the years is just in, insane. Um, but at the same time, just because something looks good doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Just because something has a great score to it doesn't mean it's good. I mean, I mean, heck, um, <laughs> the the Voyage of the Dawn Treader Narnia film looks kind of cool, has a good score, but it's a crap movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like er, er, the Hobbit, the Hobbits, the the movies. You know, they they look good, they sound good, they should be good, but they're kind of subpar. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's it's. it's it's really a disappointment when, uh, when thing and you know I'll I'll probably still play the game when I get to it, but I'll probably just wait until it's like on a severe discount. So if I end up not liking it, it's not like I wasted like twenty or thirty bucks on it. So uh, yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because especially on the uh, the second awards list that you mentioned, most of those choices were pretty good <laughs> well and i and i think it gets a little deeper than that because um obviously you know the uh, obviously when the game came out you know a majority of the defense for the last of us 2 came from you know you know game journalist publications and if we look at the jury of who basically determines you know the the winners for you know these categories you know, just just to take a little a little glimpse here, we have publications like Game Informer, Games Radar, Game Ranks, Polygon, um, PC Gamer, The Verge, Wired, Vice. Um, you know, it, it again. We have it's like it, it couldn't be any more adamantly clear that these game journals publications are just bought out by studios like Naughty Dog to basically just defend them left and right whenever they receive criticism and in turn, you know, they, they you know, to give them, uh, you know, nominations for these game awards and, they, you know, and, and in turn for that, you know, they reward them with, with benefits and, you know, you know, financial compensation and, you know, you know, there's, there's all these strings. It's so, so crazy bureaucratic and it's like yes there there is actual like um popular vote that that goes into play too i mean like you know anybody can make an account and vote for certain games but it's, i mean do you honestly believe that a majority you know that that the actual consumer base has any form of actual sway into affecting the results of these votes it's like personally we'll, we'll take I, I, I don't think that to be the case but yeah no i mean it take take rotten tomatoes for for instance yeah. you know this this is a classic example of this whenever you know you know sometimes i'll be in a store or i'll see a trailer or something like that and it's for a movie that um is about to come out on blu-ray or whatever and sometimes i'll see like rated you know 95% or 98% on rotten tomatoes but when you actually go to rotten tomatoes and you see the audience score it's like a 35%. They never advertise that on on the uh, on the actual products. They always focus on what the critics are saying, you know, the critics, these mm -hmm. these well established 
movie journalists or whatever are all raving about about this wonderful environmentalist movie that everyone has to love or all these other all this these you know this or feminist like movie cuties. or yeah cuties you know this this amazing just piece of art that you have to you have to enjoy but they don't tell the whole story they don't tell what people actually think about it it's always well this this guy who's been writing pieces for this site for years says this is a great movie well what what do people who actually went and saw it think you know what i mean yeah so, exactly and, and i understand that to an extent i mean they're if they're trying to market a film you know they're not gonna advertise that it's terrible if they want it to sell well i understand that but at the same time it's just kind of annoying to see that because they they, they claim that rotten tomatoes is this amazing site when really it's 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 not it's just not yeah and 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 what's crazy too is that i think um the the current ceo of rotten tomatoes or or at least like he's an executive or something but he used to be um uh basically a disney executive he was a former disney executive oh okay Um, maybe maybe he's best buddies with kathleen kennedy or something (laughs) i would not uh i would not Throw that in the realm, or toss it out of the realm of possibility, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously Kathleen Kennedy is not technically Disney, she's Lucasfilm, but they're owned by Disney, so. I mean. It, it still works. It, it's I still, mean, Disney owns everything now, so. Yeah. every and, They'll probably own us eventually, they'll own this yeah. podcast, I'm sure, they'll buy it for like $4 billion and we'll be rich, so. The mouse will control all. <laughs> Now, speaking of the mouse, speaking of Disney, um, we meant to actually cover this in our last episode, but totally forgot about it because we were talking about the election. But the uh, the Mandalorian season two, um, they've been releasing the episodes uh, weekly for a few weeks now, and the newest episode is going to come out tomorrow, um, called the Jedi. I believe it's the fifth episode. And um, how many episodes are they? doing this season is it is it is it like eight like last time or was it 10 i can't remember how much how many they did um but anyway it's it's only like a handful i think it's it's not a lot um but anyway four episodes out so far and we kind of we we talked about it on one of our last episodes before it even started and what we were hoping for what we were predicting it would do and, and, and things like that. And we've both had a chance to watch all the episodes up to this point. So we thought we'd uh, take some time here and, and kind of discuss our thoughts on it. I know that uh, Spencer, you and I are probably going to disagree on some things, but I think we'll also agree on some things as well. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how this, yeah, uh, how this plays out. So, um, yeah, I'll. Uh, I guess I'll. I'll go ahead and start with. Um, well, first, before we give our thoughts on, let's just kind of uh, give a bit of a rundown of what's happened so far. If if you've not seen these episodes or you've not seen all of them yet, mm-hmm. obviously this is gonna be spoilers in it. So skip whatever, stop listening, <laughs> come back later when you watch the rest of them. But you know, it, I don't really care if if. If there's spoilers or not, you have the option to not listen. So, anyway, um, so the first episode of season two um, picks up where the end of season one left off. We see Mando and the child um, leaving 
after having a showdown with Moff Gideon, who's an Imperial um, Imperial uh, guy who's trying to track down the child and capture them. But we don't exactly know why. So you see the Mando and the child. They're on, uh, they go to Tatooine. And they meet up. He's, he's trying to find the Jedi. Mando's trying to find the Jedi because that's, that's where the child needs to go. He'll be safe with the Jedi. And so he's on this quest to find them. Runs into this, uh, this, I don't know if you call it a village, but this community, this small community led by this guy who calls himself the Marshal and walks into the room and he has Boba Fett's armor on. But from my understanding, Mando doesn't know that it's Boba Fett's armor. He just knows that it's Mandalorian armor and the guy takes off his helmet, which is against Mando's creed. Um, so he's like, hey, I want this armor. You know, you don't deserve to have it. The marshal says no, but I'll give it to you or, you know, I'll, I'll give it to you if you can help us get rid of our problem. Problem being a crate dragon, which is destroying everything around them. He ends up helping him. They end up killing the the beast at the end you, with the help of the sand people and Which, you know, people I, of I, the I village. Don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, that was one thing that that I in particular had a problem with that episode is that you know he he clearly sees you know the the you know the warden with um or the marshal. I'm sorry. He sees the marshal wearing that armor, and you know. Of course, the the crate dragon rolls through, but it's like it seems kind of ham-fisted to me that like Mando is kind of obligated to, you know, help this town so that he can get this armor. When and all, I mean, really and truly, it, it we're not. There's no clear incentive or motivation as to why he would help this town or this marshal. For I mean, for all he knows, he probably killed a Mandalorian for the armor. I mean. You know, again, like, you have to factor all of these things in place. And I feel like him just kind of arbitrarily just deciding to help... I mean, he doesn't owe this marshal anything. I mean, it, it just seems... I don't know, it just seems rather kind of ham-fisted and contrived to me, but it's not something I get super hung up on, but it just... It, it was just one thing that really kind of, like... It was just kind of an odd writing choice. See, for me, it, it, it actually kind of makes sense because, you know, we see from early on in season one that Mando is not your typical Mandalorian because of how he decides to go back for the child or Baby Yoda when he had no real need to do that. But he knew that, yeah, I guess his conscience got to him and he knew that something was going to happen to the kid. So he decided to step in and save him, that kind of thing, and that that ha and he also went to the village. This village later on in the season helped out these people. So you know, we we've seen multiple times throughout the series up to this point that he does want to help people, even though it, it, sometimes it's a little out of character for him. He's not used to doing that, but there's just something pulling at him. So maybe we'll see why later on. I mean, I think part of it too is. I mean, how, I he, how it's he, like, he grew up. I, I don't think I don't think someone not wanting to be complicit with child murder may, inherently makes them prone to being keen to helping people. It just 
like, I mean, again, the reason why he goes back for Baby Yoda is because, you know, he, because again, you know, it, it, due to his, obviously his tra- traumatic experiences with, um, you know, that the droid invasion, you know, killing uh, his family and stuff like that. But it's like, but e- even, even then it's like, it's, I don't think, I, th- I think a majority of people in that situation would opt to not have the kid die. But I, I don't I don't see how I don't see how that correlates with running into a guy in possession of Mandalorian wrongfully in possession of Mandalorian armor because he's clearly not a Mandalorian. Like I just I just don't see the incentive for Din to really help him or his town because, you know, it, well, and again, it, it kind of plays into a series of things that happened, not just that episode where he rescued the child, but with the village that he helped, with these other people that he helped. And then, you know, when you see him arrive to that um, that community or whatever, it's not really, a, I mean, I guess you could call it a village, but the, the people on Tatooine, you know, you could see that they're, they're, pretty isolated they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere they look like they're not exactly doing well things are kind of broken down so maybe that kind of played into it a little bit uh but i mean i i mean i understand with the whole you know he he didn't know he didn't even know i don't think he even knew there was a problem until uh the marshals said there was so for all for all he knew he saw the great dragon yeah, for all for all he knew, the marshal could have just been pulling something, pulling a fast one on him, um, so he could get away. You know, I mean, th- there is that too. So, I mean, I I, I do understand that. I just, uh, I I mean, it is it is kind of interesting too. I will say fr- from uh, kind of going from from what you've you've brought up too, and we'll get back more into the different episodes so far. But how yeah, you know, I, I don't really know. And I'm guessing we might find out more later, but as far as like what what motivates Mando to help help these people, you know, why he's supposed to be a mercenary, he's supposed to be trying to, you know, make a living for himself. Why are, you know, what exactly brought him to this point? Yeah, we we see the story of him losing his parents um, in the Clone Wars, things like that, but even that wasn't very detailed. It was, it was obviously a, an important part of his story, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's just a lot there that we don't know, and to be almost halfway through season two and still not really have an idea of of what is driving him is a flaw, yeah. I think, in the writing. Yeah, definitely. I I would definitely agree on that. So, so, so to that end, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um. So, so anyway, yeah. He he helps out these these people. Helps out the Tuscan Raiders. And can I I just say though, um, I don't know if you picked this up. You probably did. But probably my favorite thing about this episode was how reminiscent it was of the uh, of the Knights of the Old Republic game. Obviously, there were some key differences. But like the idea of using banthas with explosives to draw out the crate dragon who wants to eat them, you know, and uh, 
working with the sand people, which you can do in KOTOR, although it's it's a little different with how you're not you're not they're not technically helping you take down the crate dragon in the game, but you can help them out and they'll help you get to the crate dragon kind of thing. So yeah, there was some things in it that were that were pretty familiar if you, if you played that game. Um, so that that was kind of cool. But I, I will say this though, one thing I don't I didn't like about the episode was the marshal because he like I I don't mind the whole space western thing. I, that's that's part of what inspired Lucas to make Star Wars was the kind of a space westerny kind of thing. But it it wasn't. It wasn't super focused on on the western yeah, the aspect western of aspect, it. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. it was an inspiration, but it wasn't like this is going to be space cowboys. That's not really yeah. what it was. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you had the Han Solo character, sure, but even that was like, you know, he's not he's not like Howdy Ranger, you know, <laughs> kind of, kind of yeah, thing exactly. like that. So, yeah. but the Marshal, like, he was he was built up to be this, you know, this real cool character, and really, he's just kind of an idiot, you know? Yeah, he's, like, he's really incompetent, actually. Yeah, um, and the fact that he almost blew the entire operation when he just about decided to attack the Tusken Raiders um, when Mando's trying to make peace with them, and then... And then again, when they go back to the village, and the one of the members is about to pick a fight with the sand person, I'm like, dude, these guys can take you guys out. Why do you keep picking fights with them? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, that time I think didn't he try to break up the fight? I can't. I yeah, can't yeah, exactly. I, th- I think yeah. so. Yeah. So uh, that you know, but and wasn't there wasn't there an incident when they were trying to take out the crate dragon where the marshal almost jumped uh, ahead of time before they were going to make their move and man is like no wait not yet you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah he he wanted to blow the the the, the charges early which uh, one thing that i thought was odd so they have so during that episode they have buried the um explosives and the ground because apparently yeah. this, its stomach's supposed to be the weak spot, but later, you know, later on they have a bantha loaded with um, explosives, and the worm eats it, and they they det you know and then detonates it, and you know flies out of the, the the worm's mouth, and it dies. So it's then like at least you're wondering like why wasn't that just the plan the whole time? Like why risk yeah. having all these people die when you could have just taken like one bantha, put like a shit ton of explosives on it, like. Had well, to go out there, get what, eaten. What, what's funny is that's how they did it in the KOTOR game. Like, the crate Dragon yeah. comes out, eats the Bantha, it blows up, yeah. and it dies. You know? <laughs> so, like, yeah. I, I don't understand. So, yeah, that, that was kind of strange. Although, it, you know, and, and then the way this episode ends is Mando gets the armor, um, and... He's on his way out, and off in the distance, the uh, there's a figure watching Mando travel away on his speeder, and he turns around, and it's Boba Fett, and that's that's been confirmed. The actor that played Jango Fett and some of the clones in the prequels, uh, he is he was in that episode. He played that character, um, so. Yeah, we're gonna see Boba at some point. Probably not till towards the end of the season, I'm guessing. Um, and so yeah, that'll be kind of interesting. It, it's 
if if you're if you're familiar at all with especially the expanded universe of the Star Wars novels, you know this this is a thing that Boba survived the the Sarlacc pit, and he's you know battered and he's in rough shape and everything, but he does he does live. And if if you're aware from the prequels, it was established that Boba is a clone of Jango. The only difference is he doesn't have the the age acceleration so he doesn't age twice as fast as a regular human so he can live a lot longer than a clone trooper mm-hmm. could so it'll be interesting to see what they do with with boba as far as obviously there's going to be a confrontation obviously boba's going to try to reclaim his armor does mando even recognize who boba fett is does boba fett have a history with the mandalorians you know, because we, we don't know what they're going to do with this new canon now. There's things that they did before they got rid of it in the old in the old series. But, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are they going to do with with that character? We'll, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Um, so anyway, I'm just worried. I mean, Boba's a legacy character and in Disney's track record with. Yeah, we'll Star see. Wars legacy characters. I just. <laughs> we'll, on, man. we'll see. So that was that was the first episode. The second episode um, is called. Let's see, well, I can't remember the title, but basically, it takes place um, with oh, Mando, Mando, and the child en route once again to find the Jedi. And while they're while they're getting ready to do that. They, they still haven't left Tatooine yet at the this point. The Passenger is what it's called. The Passenger, okay. They haven't left Tatooine yet at this point when the, when the Chapter 10 starts. They run into, I forget the lady's name, but this lady that was in the, the first season who, honestly... She has all the droids. and Yeah, all and, the droids, the pit droids from The Phantom Menace, and uh, she's real sassy with Mando and really likes the child and everything like that. So, um, I think it's... Oh, it's it's Peli Motto, I think is her name. That's a weird name. But anyway, um, she she asks Mando to help transport a a passenger who's a I don't know what her species is, but she's basically a frog lady. Uh, transport this frog creature and her container full of frog eggs to this uh, this planet, and if Mando does this. The frog lady says that she knows how Mando can come in contact with his people, with with more Mandalorians, because he's he's been made aware that there's Mandalorians still out there, and he wants to find them. So as they're on this, as they're on their way to the planet, they get intercepted by a couple of X-wings, and uh, one of one of the pilots is played by Dave Filoni, who's one of the directors of this of this series. And he ends up going on a, he, he ends up trying to lose them. He goes to the planet and ends up uh, landing to try to hide. It's just, it's this ice planet and it's, it's like a Hoth planet essentially, though I don't think it's Hoth. And then because of where he landed, the ground isn't secure. So he crashes and his ship falls all the way down to, into this cave-like area. And as they're trying to survive, Mando's trying to make repairs on his ship. The frog lady takes her eggs and goes to this spa-like thing or whatever. 
and he tracks her down. The child starts eating these what look like little eggs, and they have spiders in them. And then whenever – which this actually – even though I'm not a big fan of this episode, I did find this part kind of funny, how – the the child keeps eating the eggs that's in the frog lady's container. <laughs> the Mandalorian <laughs> has to keep getting onto the child. So the, the child eats one of these spiders. Well, when he eats it, the other spiders are made aware of it, and they start chasing them down, and they're eventually rescued by the X-Wing pilots that are chasing them down, and then they're eventually able to escape. And that's pretty much it for that episode. And... I honestly, aside from a couple comedic parts that were, you know, kind of, kind of funny, um, I don't really understand the point of that episode as far as like where, what's the importance of them being here. Um, I will say the spider creatures are actually kind of cool because they were originally developed by uh, Ralph McQuarrie who did the original artwork for Star Wars when George Lucas was first making it. And when he made Empire Strikes Back, the the scene where Luke is at Dagobah, where he finds Yoda, he actually comes into contact with these spider-like creatures. So I thought it was kind of cool that they brought that into live action, essentially, and kind of made that a thing now. So that was kind of neat. But uh, what were your thoughts of that episode? Yeah, honestly, the the writing was probably. I'd say that episode is probably one of the the worst written episodes um, in the show. Um, I I just I for, for one I just I thought it was strange that um, that the New Republic were just so you know ready to gun down Mando like for you know, I guess not having proper credentials or whatever. Um, so I thought that was rather strange. Yeah. And then, um, also for, you know, it's revealed in the episode that this lizard lady, I don't, I don't know what you call, um, her species exactly, but it's revealed that basically that her eggs are like, you know, basically the last of her like family's line or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like trying to preserve them, keep them safe. Also, one thing that's revealed is they cannot go into uh, hyperspace. They cannot, um, um, they can't jump into hyperspace because otherwise it will supposedly kill her eggs, which is never explained why. Like, it's just kind of this random thing oh, that yeah. just. It's just this random thing that they bring up, and they're like, "Oh, if we go into hyperspace, like it will kill my kid or my my eggs." And it's like, "Why though?" See, <laughs> see that, that was one of my sense. biggest problems. Is the, the supposedly they can't jump into hyperspace because her eggs will die, but they can yeah. crash all the way through, you know, this, this exactly. ice planet. Yeah. They can, they can, you know have all these terrible things happen on their ship and it almost get blown to bits and the eggs are just fine, but they can't yeah. travel through hyperspace. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Also, I have to say that this lizard lady is like in, is in contention for like being one of the worst moms ever because <laughs> she just leaves her eggs just, you know, unattended so that, you know, so that like baby Yoda can like go and eat them. 
as yeah, like, and, and she never uh, seems to question the fact that she has far fewer eggs now than she did when she first started. Like, well, and not only that, but then she proceeds to take her the, the eggs that she has and brings them into a spider den. Yeah, and potentially has them killed from spiders. It's like, yeah. She, now she didn't know that there were spiders in there when she did it, but at the same time. She should have known better than to wander away from the ship. Yeah, a, and th yeah, a, that's what I was going to say. It's like there's like, a, there's a hot spring here, and you don't think that there is the possibility that there might be other creatures that live in this den area. Oh yeah, because it, it's perfectly set up for creatures to live in that thing. So it, yeah. I mean, unless you're just a complete idiot, you should know. Okay, this might not be super safe. And, you know, maybe that frog lady is just that much of an idiot because she can't seem to keep track of her own children, apparently. Yeah. Um, but there is there is one really cool thing that I liked about the episode. And um, they, have a, they have a scene where Mando and her are actually able to communicate. She takes the assassin droid's communicator and starts talking to him. And I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like one of the, one of the, probably one of my, like my, one of the things that they've done in this season that's like really, really interesting, but they, they never do anything else with it other than just to relay exposition and stuff, which I was like, man, that is really disappointing. Um, but yeah, the, the, there are some cool, like neat elements that are portrayed in there. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you though for the most part. Like, I don't understand what the point of this whole episode was. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's rather rather strange. Yeah. Okay, so that was the second episode. The third episode, um, which is called the Heiress, it takes place immediately after the second um, episode ends, and. We see the and um, fun fact here. This episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who is the daughter of Ron Howard, the director who also played Opie and Andy Griffith, and he's he's directed a ton of things. I think he I think he directed uh, wasn't it one of the Apollo movies? I believe Apollo Eleven. Um, mm. And the reason I say that is because this was really cool, and I didn't notice it until after it had aired, but someone else had, had noticed this. Um, so as it starts out, the Razor Crest, which is Mando's ship, it, mm -hmm. it is severely damaged, and it crash lands onto the moon of Trask, which is where they were originally headed, was Trask. And when you, when you see the shot of the ship crashing, it's basically a side-by-side... A shot of Apollo Eleven when it when the thing crashes or when it the the ship goes down or whatever on onto the oh, earth. Oh yeah! So that was that was a pretty cool moment. And then I guess uh, Bryce Dallas Howard tweeted out when she noticed that someone caught that. She said, "Yep, that was uh, that was intentional." <laughs> so that that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, they crash onto the planet. They 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 finally get there, and the the frog lady reunites with her husband and um what we see happen next is the mandalorian's invited to an inn to uh i guess have dinner or something with uh, the frog people and um before he does that he asks the corn to fix his ship and everything so does that 
And you know, while they're while they're out doing that, um, he he eventually teams up with them on out at sea, and the captain's like, "Hey, have you ever seen?" Um, I think I think it was like a a mother corn or something like that get fed and mm-hmm. tricks tricks Mando into walking up to this um, this pit thing on the ship essentially where the where the beast is being held and right as he's getting ready to feed him he shoves uh, he takes uh, the child and throws it into the into the pit um, and Mando jumps in after it and somehow saves it but while this is going on. Um, they try to trap him in there, and they start trying to stab him and everything. And then out of nowhere come uh, this crew of um, not of, of Mandalorians, essentially, led by uh, Bo-Katan. And they take out the Corrin. They free uh, Mando. He comes up, and they, they take off their helmets. Well... Um, just like we saw with with the marshal, Mando's like, "What are you doing? You know, you you've got no right to do to do this. You know, you're not a real Mandalorian kind of thing." And Bo-Katan, um, who, if if you're not familiar with Bo-Katan, she was in uh, both Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, and um, I'm really excited to see how this plays out. But I'll I'll get into that later. But anyway, she's got she's got a history with um, her her older sister in the Clone Wars um, was the leader of of Mandalore, and this was when they decided to become a peaceful planet. They were they abandoned the the old ways of the Mandalorians, and they were going to be a more pacifist kind of kind of society. And Bo-Katan was her her sister, and um, anyway. We see her again in Rebels, and she um, she came in possession of the dark saber. Now, the dark saber, this is the essentially the black lightsaber that Moff Gideon has in the end of episode, of the first season, and she's trying to reclaim it. And she, when she uh, is conf- is confronted by Mando about you know why did you take your helmets off, she says, "Oh, you must be." A child of the watch and i didn't recognize yeah, she it. she says that uh, she says that he's one of those or whatever yeah they, one they, of a descendant of the watch now the watch yeah this is also from clone wars um the watch is short for death watch death watch in the clone wars series these were a group of renegades that were trying to reclaim the old ways of the mandalorians and they were trying to subvert um, Duchess Satine, who is the leader of Mandalore, I just remembered her name. So, um, they they were the ones that m- were more traditional with their with their viewpoints. They didn't take their helmets off. Although I think the leader of Death Watch did take his helmet off at one point. Um, but anyway, that's that's what she means by that. So there's essentially you learn that there's different sects of the Mandalorians. There's ones that are more strict. There are ones that are not so much. But Mando has never heard of these guys. So, you know, you'll, you'll come to find out more about them later. But anyway, the gist of it is they want his help and he goes to eventually help them, um, track down, 
uh, Moff Gideon, try to find, you know, where he is, try to reclaim the Darksaber. And uh, you learn at the very end of the episode, whenever they succeed with their, uh, well, kind of succeed with their mission. Now, Mando's ship is repaired. Now he can go find the Jedi, which is what he initially set out to do. And, you know, he asks, you know, where can he go? Who can he find? And he doesn't know anything about the Jedi. And Bo-Katan tells him, go find uh, the planet Corvus. Go find the Jedi called Ahsoka Tano. Now, this made me jump out of my seat because I finally, it was finally name dropped. I was like, oh my gosh, they're, they're doing it. Um, Ahsoka Tano, for those of you who don't know, was the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars and was one of the key characters in the Clone Wars and you she pops up again in Rebels and um, so you come to find out you know that's where he's going to go find her um, and then that's where the episode ends um, and then um, so first of all what, what did you what did you think of that episode overall I definitely think it was one of the better or probably out of the four so far, it is probably the best written one. However, there are a lot of... There were a couple of major things that I thought were um, pretty glaring. One of them being, obviously, when Mando gets tricked into... Well, well, first of all, when... So, during the scene where they're out at sea, the whole time I was just thinking to myself, like, why are they not in a ship? Why are they not, like, on, like... You know, like a like a cargo shuttle ship, or like a or like speeders, or you know, hovercraft, or something. I mean, like, it seems like getting on a boat in Star Wars is just so, like, kind of out. It just seems so out of place. Um, but I was like, well, you know, they they have they have nets or whatever, uh, you know, to to fish or whatever. But then I, you know, I, but then I realized I was like, well, they could just have, they could just program droids to go out and, you know, fish, you know, collect fish and everything. Um, but but either way, I didn't get too hung up on that. Because that's that's not really the the crux issue of of that scene in particular. It's more the fact that of Mando getting tricked. You know, it, and it's funny for like for. For as much as this show constantly, you know, throws around that Din is like, you know, one of, if not the best bounty hunter in the system, he sure tends to get outsmarted and duped a lot. Um, it, it's it's just really strange, and like the fact that they were able to trick him into getting, you know, thrown in this, you know, like well, you know, this 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 holding well or whatever. And for him to get Deus Ex Machina, I just was like, it just that that was really lazy writing to me. I thought that it was it just like just a major contrivance. And um, although I do think it's cool that they're incorporating uh, clones war, uh, Clone Wars um, material and, and canon into into the mix, I think that's really cool. Um, I do enjoy that they're you know bringing in Bo-Katan and uh, Sokotano, obviously. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, overall, overall, it is definitely one of the better written episodes. Um, I would, I would, I would go as far as probably to say that it's my favorite out of the four so far. Um, just because, 
Uh, and also during that episode, there's um, kind of a heist. Um, yeah. Uh, that kind of goes on. Um, and so it kind of added kind of a, 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 a nice dynamic um, to the episode. Um, so, I yeah, it was definitely probably my favorite out of the four. So. Yeah, and and uh, what I thought was pretty cool about Bo-Katan is the actress that plays her in the the live action is the one that voices her in the Clone Wars and Rebels. So that was pretty cool that they found a way mm. to to bring back. That I don't know what they're gonna do with Ahsoka as far as like, are they gonna have someone play her live action but use the same voice that they did? Because the from what I understand, they're going to have Rosario Dawson player. And I think she was in the, the, the thing I remember seeing her in was Daredevil. I thought she was confirmed. Wasn't she? I, I'm pretty sure she was. Um, but that up. yeah, I, I'm pretty sure she was confirmed, but you know, my, my concern about that is, is it going to really feel like Ahsoka? Because I mean, let, let's just be honest here. The, the you have, um you have a white, chick who voiced Ahsoka for you know, like 12 years and you have this this black lady playing her now so their voices are going to sound way different not even remotely close to each other um, obviously I, I, don't I don't necessarily think so and Rosario Dawson is is uh, for the most part a pretty competent actress so I'm not I'm personally not super concerned about it um uh, I mean, you know, it it kind of ties back into the whole like, does it really matter if it's a white or a black person playing the role? It's like, I personally, I don't think it matters. Well, no, um, I'm not even talking about race specifically. I'm just saying that the the voices don't even sound remotely the same. So, you know, the fact. I, mean, I guess that, I would have. To, I guess I would have to listen to her speak more. But but even then, I there in voice acting, I I think she could you know use a certain voice, and I, I think. I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that it, it could, you know, she could do a decent job. Because again, she's not like, if if they had gotten like, you know, kind of a more one dimensional actress, um, I would be a little more concerned about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I anything that I've seen her in, she's always done pretty well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I mean, again, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that I don't think she should play because she's not the same color. You know, that that's not what oh, I'm no, saying. Yeah, like, yeah. like Ahsoka, Ahsoka is like, she's a, um, oh, what's the name of her species? It's the same as shock T, but Togruta or whatever it's called. Um, but she's, you know, orange with head tails and everything. like. That. So that doesn't have anything to do with it. So I understand that, you know, with voice acting, you can, you know, you can do different things, but, what I was, yeah. you know, my main point, which I, is, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that that was your argument or whatever. No, it's no, just, but it, I just wanted to clarify yeah. that in case people got confused. Um, but you know, I, I'm just, it would be really, I, I was really disappointed though because, you know, Ashley Eckstein, she, I mean, not only does she do a good job with the character that she's voiced for a long time, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think they could easily have her cast as as the character i mean she was makeup and everything like that so i don't know maybe maybe they'll have her like voice act it and then potentially i can see that 
probably not, but we'll we'll see. Um, I'm hopeful because you know the next the next episode is called The Jedi, and that's directed by Dave Filoni. So that's like a 99.9% chance that Ahsoka is going to be in it because Ahsoka yeah. is Dave Filoni's baby. I mean, he created that character with George Lucas, but that that was that was his thing when he came on board to do Clone Wars. He created Ahsoka Tano. So, you know, and what's kind of funny about that is uh, it's, it's kind of an odd title, so maybe there will be more Jedi than Ahsoka because Ahsoka at this point is not a Jedi. Um, in Rebels, even because uh, you find out at the end of at the end of Clone Wars, she leaves the Jedi Order because they essentially <laughs> threw under, threw her under the bus. Um, after all she'd done, you know, there was this plot to uh, invade the Jedi Temple, and it was you know they they tried to make it look like Ahsoka did it, and the Jedi Council completely fell for it and was like, "You're out of the order," you know, "You're you're gone, you're done for," without any real. Yeah. Um, investigation into it so she leaves and then she eventually uh, comes back to help at the end of Clone Wars you see in season 7 and then in Rebels um, you know she she reveals that she's not a Jedi she, you know, she her lightsabers are white she doesn't serve with the order or anything like that so it's kind of a it's kind of interesting that the title is called the Jedi when Ahsoka's not a Jedi anymore unless Unless maybe she met up with Luke or something and became a Jedi again, who knows? I guess we'll or find out. Or perhaps it was uh, she like kind of reformed the Jedi Order and tried to start her own branch of it. Yeah, like that would be really interesting if like Luke had his sect of like the Jedi and Ahsoka had her own, mm-hmm. and they just never crossed paths ever. Like that would be really cool. It also um, be it would be a cool way to bring Luke into Mandalorian and kind of redeem his character from the way he was handled in the sequels. Um, yeah. Plus, it would be really, really cool to see the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker meet his son. Like that, that would be an interesting conversation um, to see on. Screen. My only worry with that, though, is I would be worried they would try to to fist more. Um, sequel trilogy stuff into the show and like the Mandalorian's in a pretty good spot now where it's it, it it's pretty far removed from for the most part legacy material and uh sequel trilogy material where it can just kind of live and be its own thing for the most part and I'm just worried that if they try to bring in like Luke and things like that that they they'll, they'll just have it anchored down by you know unfortunately sequel trilogy material yeah and to that point i kind of skipped over the the fourth episode but i'll I'll, i'm not going to get into it too much there's not a whole lot there i I thought it was okay but it definitely seemed like a a downgrade from the previous episode but basically mando um on his way there he stops and meets up with uh cara dune and grief um, from the from the first season meets up with them again, which was cool. I, I was happy to see him again. That was that was neat. Um, but you know, once again, he's he's delayed with actually going to his mission. So he stops and meets these people. They ask him for his help. He he uh, agrees to help them uh, take out this imperial base 
this remnant imperial base on the planet. Um, which you know the action in the in the episode is pretty pretty cool. Um, and I did I did enjoy the the speeder chase down the the canyon kind of kind of place where Cara Dune was uh, driving trying to escape and everything. That was that was pretty cool. But um, you know once again the the thing that oh and you learn you learn also that one of the mechanics um at the ship plants a tracking beacon track tracking beacon onto the ship moff gideon reappears finds out about it and now they know where mando's going now i will say that that does bring an interesting um part to it because now they will potentially know where ahsoka is not that they're necessarily looking for but once he gets there they'll probably find her and know where the jedi are so i guess we'll see what happens with that so that that i will say could bring up an interesting uh you know plot twist or whatever in a future episode so we'll we'll see but uh yeah aside from a couple minor things that were kind of interesting uh it just i don't know it it didn't really seem to go in uh that big of a direction because basically you know like i said we've gotten halfway through this season so far and he's still not found the jedi yet he's still in search kind of a thing yeah and he's been in search since pretty much the beginning of season one when he gets the child and you know at first i you know kind of excuse it okay fine they're trying to introduce new things, new worlds, new characters, yada, yada, yada. But we're already about halfway through the second season, and we're just now getting to where he has been trying to get to for, you know, season and a half now. So, you know, it, it's... If the seasons were longer, or at least the episodes were longer, you'd have more time to to get there before the season ends. But, you know, it, it's just it's kind of disappointing that it's taking this long to find out, you know, where he's going, how is he going to get there and all that stuff. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, like, you know, it, it seems like, it, and obviously this episode was directed by Carl Weathers and, um, you know, I can't. You know, I can't say. Did I just browsing through his IMDb history? You know, his directing history is not incredibly extensive, and it seems like you know, a lot of the material that was in this episode was just kind of filler material, and so they, they more than likely just you know probably wanted to cut costs and have him direct it. Not saying that he was like a horrible director or anything. That's not what I'm saying, but it's just like, it it definitely seems like there's just a lot of filler for the most part in this episode and, and, and they kind of just sprinkle spectacle throughout the entire thing to kind of um not have it be such a <laughs> you know a slug fest you know what i mean now i will backtrack a little bit on what i said because there there was a key thing i forgot to mention about this episode that is actually a, a pretty big um detail um so as they are as mando's helping them they're at the base and everything and they're downloading this data they they come across a recording of the of the doctor that I think he was in the first season that Mando saved the child from, 
but he reveals they they see these this this tank and it's got some kind of creature in it and there's theories that maybe it's snoke but i don't know but anyway the recording itself that they come across reveals that they were doing experiments on the child trying to get a certain m count m count is midichlorians so they were trying to get midichlorians from the child for we don't really know why but they were so that's why they're trying to find the child essentially is is they're wanting to use the power that's in this creature for something maybe it's a new army maybe maybe it's like you know super soldiers of some kind i i, I we don't really know yet but uh so that's going to come to to play out more as we get along in this season so th- mm. I, I i do think that was certainly uh, something to add weight to the episode as far as it not completely being a pointless episode um but still I'll, I'll be ready when they're finally at the destination they're meant to be at so we can see I how will it say plays one out. thing that really struck me odd with that episode was the fact that the Empire has had all these resources on uh, Navarro and yet they made practically zero effort to retake Navarro. Um, I thought that was rather strange. <laughs> um, considering, I mean, they have this huge base, they have all these troops, they have, you know, all these, you know, they have TIE fighters, I mean, they they have all these resources, yet, you know, they throughout the, the entire course of, you know, Din being gone, they never make any form of attempt, or at least based off of what we see on screen, there hasn't been any form of attempt for the Empire to reclaim Navarro. Um... Which I thought was kind of strange. Yeah, well, I mean, are, are you talking about after the Empire was destroyed, or are you talking about, like, before? So, I'm talking about, so, specifically speaking, I'm talking about after the events of Season 1. Mm-hmm. So, Mando leaves, obviously. And I'm not sure exactly how much time passes between Season 1 and Season 2, but... We're kind of given a general premise that a certain amount of time has passed because obviously, you know, there's there's not a a, a bounty hunting ring, and there's kind of a, a sense of like more of like a a colony being formed, like a like an actual civilization being formed, yeah, uh, being formed on Navarro. So there there's like all this. There's been this kind of wave of change throughout Navarro. Which I would only assume would have again a lot of this is having to is inferring stuff that's happened off screen, which I you know again I, I equate to lazy writing, um, and it just it, it just strikes me as odd that if the if the amount of change that's taken place over the amount of time that's occurred on Navarro, and yet the Empire had all these resources on this base not too far away from the town, um, the main settlement, like, why, and they had all these resources, why didn't they try to retake, um, that town? It just, it's just, it's just strange. Yeah. Um, 
But. Yeah, because I don't think it was very far away from from the town. Uh, yeah, no, I mean they get in their speeder and it's like you know, it's like half a mile away when they get there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, I, I understand that. Um, another thing I forgot to mention in terms of character development um, for Cara Dune, um, you find out she's the the leader of of the uh, village, essentially of the town, and you come to find out. The, uh, oh, who was it that, that gave her that, oh yeah, it was the, it was one of the rebel pilots that you see in episode two. Um, he finds Kara and tries to recruit her back into the, I guess it would pretty much be the resistance at this point, but the new Republic is, he tries to recruit her back into the new Republic because she used to be in the rebellion and she says no. And you come to find out that. She's from Alderaan, which was destroyed, as we all know, in the very first Star Wars film. So that kind of adds another bit of a backstory to Cara Dune that we didn't really know before. So it'd be kind of interesting to see if she's related to anyone. Like, I, I, I doubt she's related to Bail Organa, but maybe. Um, or maybe she's related to somebody else that we might know. I, I don't know. But it'll be kind of interesting to see if they play that out as far as her losing everyone that she ever knew um, and how that affected her. I'm really hoping that they actually kind of delve into that a little bit instead of just brush past it and just kind of, ah, you know, it was a sad thing, but more guns, lasers, let's go kill some storms. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but anyway, that that's pretty much the the gist of where we've gotten so far in Mando, and we've pretty much covered what we think of the the season so far. Um, they've, I think, already confirmed season three, so uh, we'll see we'll see where that goes. I mean, I'd be pretty Definitely. stunned if they didn't do a season three because I don't know yeah. how you end <laughs> the series in a couple episodes and have that be a satisfying conclusion. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's gonna do it for our our show today. We've we've gone over more than we usually do, but had a lot uh, to yeah. talk about. But I mean, hey, it's it's a Thanksgiving special, so you get more material. Yeah, that's, that's more content. Yeah, more more greatness for you. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, pretty much all the major platforms you listen to podcasts on, and. Be sure to review us, rate us, help us uh, spread the word about our show, and we'll see you back here next time. Have a good one, everyone, and enjoy the holiday season. See you guys.